let's start from Romans 1, verse 18. So we left off in 17. For the wrath of God <clears throat> is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. You know, I just want to uh, talk about this. Even someone who has never read the Bible, has never read any scriptures, anything about God, has the concept, knows the concept of God's character being good. Anytime the idea of God comes, and understand what I'm, what I'm not talking about. I am not just talking about in America now. No, I'm not just talking about in the Western world now. I'm also talking about in Eastern culture. There's a concept of God that we know it is good. In fact, actually, there are many people who know nothing about God. C.S. Lewis, for example, because he was in the First World War, because of the horrors he saw, didn't know anything about God. We just said, I'm an atheist. There's no way can there be a God with this kind of evil. Many Jews after the Holocaust, my son was talking about, oh, dad, you know, this class he was doing and the ovens and ovens of, of bones being brought out. Yes, the Holocaust brought a lot of atheists, right? And so um, there's a lot of Jews that became secular now. There's no way that there's a God. Because look what it says. It talks about uh, ungodly men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, within them, before they even get to external revelation. And why is that? Because God has said, he has put eternity in our hearts. He has put eternity in our hearts. So we know about God because God has put it there. So, uh, so it's evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So it's there. Yet people know that there's something there. People, you can go to a funeral, you know, People have lived ungodly lives, and they will say, so, oh, I know he's in a better place. I know we know, we know that there's a God and there's something beyond here. And listen, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, and that's so he's talking about natural theology here, because it, it's very, it's very difficult to sell the proposition that with all of this design, I know it's going to be morning tomorrow. It has been for the many years I've been living, and night comes. I know I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. And the whole day is going to be in darkness. Maybe if I was in Alaska for six months, but not in Rhode Island, 
meaning for that to happen every day for all of my life, that is not an accident. There's a design there. There's a system that a designer has put in place. I mean, for someone to stand in front of God and try to sell the idea that I didn't know. I didn't know that there was a God. It's almost like trying to sell the idea of the Mona Lisa didn't have a painter, right? Or the Mona Lisa didn't have a painter. Wow, that building just got there by nothing. So got, got just got there by magic. But even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So he's talking about animism, right? Like, uh, okay, that tree is God. Because when you reject the, the truth of a real God, then it opens you up to the idea of a false God, right? Once you deny true light, and only God has got true light, by default, you embrace darkness. Therefore, God gave them over in the loss of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies will be dishonored among them for the exchange of truth of God it is for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, what we see, right, what, what, we've, what, we've, what we've seen our entire lives, and this is why I get so uh, angry about this whole uh, idea of man worship, whatever way it takes. I remember when I was a kid in England, and people used to worship the Beatles on the stones. Really? <laughs> people used to faint. Women used, to, I'm telling you, used to faint. If you see their faces, it was like just seeing them are in anguish. And even when I was a kid, I knew that that was wrong. Something's wrong. I know about God, but I just knew something's wrong here. Fainting and all the arm. Oh, I mean, it was not so many of those stars. They say that women used to throw their underwear on stage to Tom Jones, who's a famous English singer. He's actually not English, he's actually Welsh, but English. To Tom Jones, I mean, there are so many of them that uh, 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 oh, I'll do anything for you. It was worship. It was worship. So they are worshiping the creature rather than the, than the creator. I see kids nowadays, all they talk about is like uh, the latest uh, phone. I mean, my son can tell you he doesn't uh, get them because I've taught him better, but he can tell you about all the latest technology that's on the market. But there's people that worship that. 
There's people that worship people, make uh, music. There's people that worship money. In fact, God even said to the Israelites, don't forget your, your God who gives you the strength to get wealth. What is God there saying? Don't listen. Here's one caveat. Don't worship the money that I'm giving you the strength to get. Right? We should not worship anything. There's some people that worship their kids. Their kids can do no wrong. Tell you about that affluenza kid. Right? This is these are all examples of worshiping the creator. There's some people called workaholics, worship their job. There's some people that worship their spouses. There's some people that worship here where we live in New England. There's some people that worship the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Yankees. When I was a kid, so I was born in Leeds. And at that time, Leeds was a first division club. And it was Leeds and Manchester United. Those were two of the top division. You would see people with scarves all over, painted faces. Even that, something's wrong. I knew something was wrong because to go all out like that and almost everything was just about that. That's an example of worshiping what is created. Um, and so, and then look what we uh, talk about for the, in verse 26. For this reason, God gave me all to degrading passions, degrading passions. You know, I mean, there is a lot of, I don't, I don't deal, deal with, that's not my branch of uh, therapy, but I did about it in grad school. And when I was in grad school, I knew I didn't want to do it. This, this professor who has this sex therapy practice in Washington came down and even just seeing all of these um, gadgets, these sex gadgets, Right, and this book that we had to uh, read, I just said, in fact, I went to the administrator, I said, you know, listen, all respect, I know everybody needs to get help, I said, but I can't uh, do that. And I said, you know, listen, I don't think I will be able to help anyone who could hurt a child in that, that way. I just, I was, I was trouble, but when we start talking about, um, but everybody needs help. Everybody needs help and nobody's more sinful. I was just speaking for my, she said, Robert, I understand it's not for everybody. There are some people, I'll never forget what she said, that you know what, uh, uh, anytime you need help, call up the grad school. I'll, uh, I'll give you numbers of people that you can refer out. There are some guys that love that stuff. And clearly that's somebody who's called, right? But there are very deviant uh, forms of behavior. Look what he's talking about. The natural function, that which is unnatural. And the same way, so verse 27, the same way also, the man abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. So God is here now. He's talking about homosexuality. And clearly here... He's talking about that that was not God's original design, right? One another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person 
the due penalty of their error. I mean, if we think about it, right? So sex is a gift from God, right? Sex is a gift from God. Many people start talking about safe sex, safe sex, safe sex. Here's the thing, in God's original design, there was no safe sex. Sex was never meant to be risky in the first place. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? It was never meant to be risky in the first place because it was a gift from God. And so here it's talking about the deviant forms of sex and how this is risky, right? Do you know that uh, um, um, Al Capone died of syphilis? I mean, we, there's no syphilis anymore in the Western world, but he was contracted. Some people say from a prostitute, right? Um, we see many, many diseases, diseases, but sex was never ever meant to be risky in the first place. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Here's one thing that I want you to understand here is that God is allowing people to be given over to all of this depraved stuff. But I want you to actually see that this is both punitive, but redemptive, right? Re redemptive. God wants people to be, I mean, we know, I know I was, that broken man in a mental hospital that was so, 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 so broken, right? I found God in the darkness, but I needed to be broken. I, I didn't need to be a little bit hurt because I wouldn't have wanted God in the darkness, right? And so God, God's, God's uh, um, giving over is both punitive and redemptive. Meaning that he has allowed this, right, so that people will actually see that there's a need for God. Okay, I'll give you an example, right, in scripture of this. First Corinthians 5, verse 5, it says, uh, read the scripture, then I'll give you the context. Deliver such a one up to Satan so that his flesh may be destroyed, but his spirit and soul saved on the day of the coming of our Lord. 
And this was a man in the church, and I'll explain what that means. This was a man in the church that was having an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And the church, it's okay. It's cool. No problem with that. And Paul was saying, deliver such a one up to Satan. How do you deliver someone up to Satan? Expose, excommunicate him from the church. Let this man not have a covering so that Satan will chew on this man's, it will uh, chew on this man for a while, um, chew on him to the point that this man will actually cry out for God. There's an example of God giving someone over where it's both punitive and redemptive. God is a redeeming God. And Paul here is making an argument essentially that God created everything good and God's creation went against him. Because here, what is Paul talking about? God's righteousness being revealed in the midst of unrighteousness. Right? So let's go in. Chapter two. Therefore, chapter two, you have no excuse. Every one of you, and remember I said, uh, every one of you passes judgment. Remember I said that this is a law court now, and Paul is essentially making the case that everybody has sinned against God. That which you judge another, you condemn yourself. How would, how would, how would I condemn myself if I'm judging another person? Because that same thing that I am condemning that person for, it's in my heart. Jesus said, all of the sins, murder, lying, all of the sins, they come out of the heart. Right? They come out of the heart. So what does that mean? That means that, okay, okay, let's say if I had the same upbringing as a Charlie Manson, it could have been Robert Wilson now as that person that did all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It comes out of the heart. I know we want to lie to ourselves. Oh, no, I'm better than that. But no, at the core of who we are, any of those things could have been us serial killers, Mussolini, Hitler, because all of those things come out of the heart, come out of that sinful nature. And so, really, um, we've all got that sinful nature, but of course, the nurture we get, or the lack thereof, can determine how much evil comes out. Right, can determine how much evil comes out. 
So in verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? What is he referring to here? Remember when Christ talks about taking the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's? Remember, I've been talking about looking in the mirror, looking in the mirror, looking in the mirror. So nobody can judge anyone according to this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So, as I said, this is punitive and redemptive. Right, punitive and redemptive. Psalm 119, verse 67, is an example of it being punitive and redemptive. David says, I'm glad I was afflicted. I'm glad I was afflicted. Why is David saying that? Because David understands that in the pain, there was a purpose. And a good purpose. Right? So I'm glad I was afflicted. I'm glad I was afflicted. Remember that guy in uh, uh, Les Miserables? So he could also say, I'm glad I spent, what was it, 19, 20 years in prison. And that woman woke me up from the bench and told me to go and knock on that door. Because that is, that is what brought him to Christ. Then he could also say about Fontaine. Remember the, uh, the prostitute that, uh, that died? I'm glad she was a prostitute. Lost, I mean, lost the job, became a prostitute and all of that. Because she came into my care, you know, and I showed her the way to the Lord. Right? So... In God's plan, in, in, in God's plan, even when there is affliction, the purpose is always redemptive. And, and God doesn't judge someone to, ah, look, look at that person. That you, God's judgment is really highlighting or underscoring the fact that that person needs a redeemer, needs redemption, right? Everybody wants to say, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. It's very, very dangerous. The Bible says that the heart is wicked beyond comprehension. Everybody wants to say that. I want to say with my mind something totally, totally divergent than what I got in my heart. No, I would never do that. If I was walking with Jesus, I would never deny you, Lord. Because I don't want to believe that. And so this is why, why I'm saying it's easy to lie to ourselves about ourselves. Because... We want to believe that we are right, that we are righteous. And typically, 
you know, I remember uh, um, uh, Pastor Jackson, my mentor, I remember when um, years ago, um, when I was in Bible college and it was my uh, uh, professor, he said he remembered in the 80s uh, about a man, I'm not going to mention this man, but this man had a big ministry in the 80s and he had a big fall. And he said that Pastor Jackson was saying that he knew something was wrong because this man was just accusing, oh, that, 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 that person's a big sinner, or oh, that person's dead, or oh, that person's that. And Pastor Jackson said, was saying that he knew something was wrong. I'm telling you this right now. When you see those judgmental people judging here, judging there, a lot of times that is them trying to deflect away from their own guilt. It's very, very uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And what people try to do to avoid succumbing to the conviction is throw other people under the bus to try to make themselves good, to try to, oh, I don't need it. That's essentially what was going on. This is why the Pharisees were not saved. Oh, look what it said about Jesus. Jesus is doing good things. He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Remember, Jesus said, how can Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't even make any sense. But that's someone. Does somebody have a time to do a palace change, toe palace change? Yeah, or regular? Regular. Yeah. So that 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 is someone, right? Who is once again suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Remember suppression? Pushing it down. Suppression isn't natural, right? It requires this active engagement when you are suppressing things. Oh, look, 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 look at them over there. What does that allow me to do? Suppress my own guilt. Ah, look at that person. Uh, uh, and so when you see judgmental people, something is going on on the inside. Really, something is going on on the inside. Jesus said, out of the abundance of a man's heart, the mouth speaks. All of these people who would take a young girl like, we you know, that gymnast, I don't want to say her name either, but take that young girl and kind of like throw her under the bus without knowing something's going on in their heart. Really. So for me, if I hear that now, I'm going to be looking at that person. What's wrong with you? Something is wrong with you. Really. Something is going on with you. It's suppression. When I hear these people screaming out, and angry about abortion. They're not that angry. Why? No, something's going on. Here's what they're trying to do. They're feigning anger to try to project that they are better than they are, which tells me that they're hiding some kind of guilt. Wait, you are angry. And of course, listen, listen, a baby is a lie, but you are angry 
about something that may happen and there are people dying who are with us now and you don't care about that? No. No. It, it's almost like what God says. You can't love the God that you don't see if you don't love the brother that you do see. You can't love the baby that you don't see if you don't love the brother that you do see. So, no, I'm, I'm not buying it. So there's something that someone is trying to suppress there. Really. You see these people in engagement, and especially in the political arena, always yelling at each other. I say, I say what's in that person's heart? What is he hiding? What is, why is he pretending so much that he's outraged about this thing? But I can see he doesn't care one two about it. It's suppression. Something is going on with that person. And then, so then, let's look. Um, so verse five, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant art, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous, ju righteous judgment of God. So God's righteousness cannot be revealed without God's wrath, right? God's righteousness cannot be revealed again without God's wrath because God's righteousness is essentially God's character that is being revealed, right? And if God is a righteous God and God sees his creation as unrighteous, then, of course, his wrath is going to be revealed. Someone could hardly say that a good parent, right, with a naughty young man, a uh, young man who's being a bad boy, you would say that uh, that parent's righteousness and wrath is being revealed. I'm going to say righteousness because he doesn't want that kid to grow up to be a bad boy and the wrath is part of the love of wanting this kid to be the best that he can be. So, hey, I gotta let this kid know that this unrighteous behavior is wrong and that I'm ups upset about it to try to get this young man on the right path. And the Bible says that those that God loves, he chastens. He chastises, right? Right? Because he wants them to be like him. And so God's wrath is being revealed because God's creation that God intended to be like him is not. It is not. And so, so, and he says in verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor are uh, are immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. What is important there is so, so, who do not obey the truth. What it says, uh, selfish ambition, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. So, Hatred 
is not the truth, right? The, who do not obey the truth. So somebody who is doing evil things is not obeying the truth because what is truth in a godly sense? You know what truth is? Anything that God says. Anything that God says, that's the truth. Really, that is the truth. Anything that God says, because who is it here? Who is saying that all of this is wrong? Not these people. They're having a whale of a time doing all of this stuff. They're not saying it's wrong. It's Paul revealing God's sentiment on all of this behavior. Right? Remember in, in uh, um, Genesis, it's Genesis 9, where he's talking about uh, uh, Noah, where God was upset because the thoughts of men's minds was evil continuously. So evil, I can also translate that with deceit, untruth. Right? Un deceit, untruth. So I can, not to minimize the Holocaust, but the Holocaust was one big lie, right? It was one big lie. Six million people did not need to die to make this a better world. That's a lie, right? And so when you start to understand, and this is why it's important when we see Christians who are so full of hatred, they are not Christians. That's a lie. Because God is love for God so loved the world. And he's talking about his So You don't need to be involved in this perversion or anything like that to be unrighteous. You just need to have hatred for God's creation, for fellow men. That's unrighteousness to God. Right? So... So there will be, verse 9, tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned, without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it is not the heirs of the law who are just before god but the doers of the law will be justified so it's no good just having a knowledge of the law god wants you to put it in to action um for when gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law these not having the law are a law to themselves watch this in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when according to my gospel God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So, you know, two cases. So I talked about the, um, the central 
the, the Central Park Five, right? They were accused, um, did this brutal murder. And as I said, I knew that they, anyone can see that they hadn't do, done them when they do the, uh, when you see the video, the brutality of the crime, they were not evil enough to have done a crime like that. They were not criminally sophisticated enough. They were docile, they were just little kids. But anyway, the point being, a guy called Mateus, uh, Mateus Reyes, Reyes, I believe his last name was, he did the crime. You know why he confessed? Because he said he had an experience with God. They never would have known it was him. The listen, 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 police everywhere. When they have someone in prison for a crime for that long, listen, they don't want to go back on that. And that's anywhere. Right. So, uh, uh, oh, are, are you sure? And of course, they at the time, late 80s, um, forensics in terms of DNA was in its very, very much in its infancy stages. But when he confessed, they uh, got him. There was also, I don't know if anybody knows who's from Rhode Island here. Years ago, there was a cop that went to prison. Um, he didn't murder this person, but he was having an affair with a woman. He went to prison for it. But what he did is he lied about it. He lied. And that's essentially what put him in prison. And this wasn't racial or anything. This was a, a, a white guy. But this was very, very, very strange, right? Very, very strange uh, occurrence. And who's in Rhode Island, you should, you should know about this, really. This is a very, very strange case. But a guy, and I saw this documentary, and it was strange, but this guy, I think it was after six or seven years, just walked into the police station, right? The police didn't even believe this guy, and he said, it's not that guy. Not that guy who was a cop. It was me, and the police didn't even believe. They were sure. They were absolutely sure of this because this guy was a Warwick cop who got arrested and it was the, um, the state police that did a big investigation. But anyway, he said, yes. And you know one thing that the police always do as a diagnostic check is anybody can go in and confess. They always leave information. They are, there's always something that they don't go to the press that the real person that was there should be able to tell them. Right, because believe this or not, there are people who will walk into a police station who will confess the crimes that they didn't do, really. And so they said, okay then, tell us what happened. And it was, it was some kind of a, of a box that, they, that this woman had that he hit her with uh, um, over the head and killed her. I said, wow, so it was you, because everybody was convinced there was this guy. And this cop, you know something? It's really touching me. This cop was so humble. And you could see that this guy learned his lesson. But one of the point I'm trying to make is that's the kind of thing that infuses someone's conscience. In other words, I believe in both of those cases, they had an encounter with God. Really? The guy was just saying, oh, I just want to confess. The cop was so surprised. It was like, why? This guy would have done life. And in fairness to this guy, 
I think he only got like 10 or 12 years. He didn't get like a life sentence. I think it blew people away. But that's an example of conscience, really. Les Miserables, when that guy stands up and he says, I wish I could keep quiet and let this poor wretch suffer for me, but I can't. That's when God gets a hold of you. And God has put that in people, right? And when you have an encounter with God, Joyce Meyer talks about when she first came to Christ, she wanted to rectify all of the wrongs. She then she'd stolen money from people and all of that kind of stuff. There's an example of conscience. Thank you.